This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jacqueline Tiley from Fort Collins, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 20th, episode 3023. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. It's the third Tuesday of the month on Horses in the Morning. And that means we get deep into training, education, and horsey fun with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Welcome back, Jacqueline. Love to see you here. This is the first time I've worked with you. I know. It's very exciting. I'm excited to work with you. I love doing the CHA episodes because they always have so many handy-dandy takeaways, and I'm a takeaway kind of gal. So I'm excited to get started with this thing. This is a new journey for you, too, because you haven't had podcast experience before starting this, starting to work here at the CHA episode. Um, that is true. This is absolutely a new experience to me. I love people. Um, I love to talk. I love horses. However, sometimes sitting in front of my computer with a microphone is a little more unnerving than actually standing and talking to a person or a horse. <laughs> I can totally relate to that because I, f- I find I experience that too. Talking to a person one-on-one, I find very familiar and comfortable. Hello, doing it your whole life. But sitting at a microphone, you can't read. You don't, you're not getting any feedback for the person you're talking to, visual feedback. Yep, correct. There you go. Well, you've been a busy camper since we chatted last in August on the third Tuesday CHA episode, what have you been keeping busy with? Well, we are so close to CHA's international conference. It is October 20th through the 22nd. So much of my time, um, especially since I'm new in this role, has been connecting with our speakers, coordinating for that event. Um, That's our largest event of the year where we have about 250 CHA members, and this year some IEA, Interscholastic Equestrian Association members as well. Um, So that's a big piece. And the most exciting thing is um, we just finalized um, our keynote speaker. Oh, who's going to be? Who's going to be? Oh, it's so exciting. Lisa Wasaki is coming to speak, and she is amazing. I believe you know her. We know Lisa Waisaki. She jumps in and sits in the co-host's chair frequently when either Glenn or Jamie is out. And if you have not yet heard Lisa Waisaki speak, you're in for a treat. I highly recommend it. Yep. She is going to speak Friday evening at our awards banquet. So we're really excited to welcome her. We're in her home state in Tennessee. So um, it will be wonderful uh, to have her. We're super excited about that. Where is the conference? You said when it is, but where is it? We um, are in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and most of our conference takes place at Middle Tennessee State University's Miller Coliseum because two full days 
we have interactive sessions where our conference attendees actually sign up in the morning and are able to ride in a session during the day, which is wonderful because so many instructors, riding instructors, don't actually get time in the saddle. They're too busy teaching. They're too busy teaching, which is something that is genuinely unique about the CHA conference. So the date again? The date is October 20th through the 22nd, and we're in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. All you have to do is visit our website and look at the conference drop down to get all of the great details. And the website is? It is CHA.horse, H-O-R-S-E. Couldn't make it any easier. And now, (laughs) on with the show, as they say. Introduce us to our guest that we're going to get on in a minute. Yes, we're really excited today to have Sabra Poli with us. She is a CHA certified instructor, as well as a PATH International certified instructor. During... um, her youth, she showed hunters, hunter jumpers, ponies. She wrote English equitation and 4-H. She's traveled as a speaker nationally and internationally to speak on equine-assisted activities, first responder training with horses, working with at-risk youth, and a wide variety of other topics. But we're going to let her tell more about her journey with horses and her role. She has become... Uh, an amazing mentor to instructors, CHA instructors, and PATH instructors in our industry. Welcome to the show today. Sabra, will you start by telling us more about your journey with horses? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on today. So I um, was one of those uh, crazy horse kids growing up. I think it was something genetic or in my blood. Um, My parents had a boarding and training facility that I grew up on. Uh, And then also my, my grandfather, we called him Papa. He was really heavily involved um, in horses and ranching and race horses. So it's something that I was, you know, there's a joke that I was on a horse walking before I could walk myself on my own two legs. Um, So horses have just been kind of something that's always been with me from a really young age growing up in the horse industry, I started out in the, in the mainstream horse world. And I say, mainstream because I'm very heavily involved in the equine assisted services industry now. So I kind of differentiate the two, but um, grew up doing a lot of uh, pony hunters. I rode all the ponies until I got kicked out based off of uh, age and height and all of that. Uh, <laughs> so showed all the ponies and had fun. Um, I still, well, fun fact, I still have my, my small pony that I showed competitively um, and she is now retired. So she's still living her days out with me and she's ancient, but um, love her to death. So grew up doing Pony Hunters, did 4-H, English equitation. I did that for a really long time. As I'm sure some of the other listeners have had told to them, you kind of growing up in the horse world, there was sometimes that push of, you know, well, this is a good hobby, but don't do it as a career. And here I am now, several years later, doing it as a career. But I've got to combine that love of horses and with people. Uh, But I also um, have actually taken a break from horses in my high school and early college years because there was a lot of uh, just, I guess you could say, baggage tied up with horses and um, all that that came along. So I thought I had sworn them off for a little while. And then in 2008, 2009 timeframe, I found a 
adaptive riding program or therapeutic riding program here in Arizona and started volunteering and did an internship there because I thought I was going to be going along the route of doing counseling or social work or something along those lines. So I, I have a degree in psychology and family and marriage development. I do not have a degree in equine anything. I've specialized since then from doing certificates, but kind of got my start in the professional world of horses uh, doing um, the, the volunteer work and then got certified through PATH International and then through CHA and just kind of fell in love with the industry ever since, even though I thought for a while I was never going to be doing horses again. So that was a, a pleasant surprise. And it has been a complete eye opener to just so many different ways that horses can impact our lives and, and the ways that we can interact and work alongside them on just showing or doing kind of what, uh, you know, mainstream industry was kind of like at the time. I, I think we're recognizing that a little bit more now, um, you know, through social media and, and what we're seeing with a lot of the top clinicians and trainers is more of that relationship and, uh, you know, coworker mindset with the horses, not trying to anthropomorphize them at all, but, um, you know, just realizing that we're working alongside another sentient being. Well, Sabra, that's actually a great segue into um, what we're going to talk about, that relationship piece. Um, so what I am hoping is that I know you have done um, work with first responders and training them, incorporating horses, and you've done a couple of different types of training. So if you could go ahead and share with our listeners um, what that first responder training incorporating horses is and what it looks like. Sure, absolutely. So through high school, college years, a lot of our friends were in first responder jobs. So a lot of military, a lot of law enforcement. Um, we also had EMS that were close friends. So that's kind of always been a close network to us. And then several years ago, we actually became a first responder family. Um, so now we are living and breathing that that life and all of the um, the blessings and the unique challenges that kind of come along with that. So once we transitioned into that first responder life, uh, that was something that really became near and dear to not just our family lifestyle, but also, um, you know, something that I hold close to my heart is taking care of the people that are in that first responder uh, job because there is a lot of stuff that they have to deal with on a daily basis. And so uh, working alongside first responders, whether it had been with mounted units, so I've done trainings with our our uh, local police departments that have mounted units, the few that are left here in the state. And then uh, I've done trainings to help develop, we call them SOPs or standard operating procedures with uh, our local um, animal uh, not rescue, but our, our animal welfare division when there's animal crime calls. So helping them develop how to to uh, train their volunteers, whether it's their staff or if they had inmates helping out with those animals of how to handle the horses safely and develop volunteer training policies and procedures. Since being in the nonprofit world, I was very familiar with volunteers. But the main thing that I really took off from there was um, with being familiar with first, first responders and, you know, 
talking their language, so to speak, and knowing what they see, not necessarily firsthand, but as a wife of someone who sees all that that stuff firsthand, um, how these horses can be a way for them to reach out in a positive way and have a positive interaction with the community. So we had a police officer and at-risk youth mentoring program that we ran, and then also taking horses uh, here nationally and also internationally and implementing them in a preventative and also after the matter interaction with horses to help decrease burnout in first responders and really help their overall mental and physical well-being. That's amazing. And as you were just saying, you've done this uh, both here in the United States and internationally, correct? Correct. Yes. What were some of the challenges planning um, this type of training internationally? So internationally, (laughs) there were a couple big, big challenges. One, so I went to South Korea and I've been there three times. The first time was primarily for the first responder training. And then the other times it was first responder following up on their program, seeing how they were doing with, with it actually running and, and also doing some training with their therapeutic riding instructors as well, since I was already over there. But with going over to South Korea, one, there's a huge cultural difference. So understanding the cultural difference between the two, that was a huge learning curve, understanding what their first responder community looks like. So I, they thankfully took me around to um, do some tours of their fire departments, uh, meet some of their local police. And I got to understand how they interacted with their communities there versus how things are structured here in the United States. And where they saw the most burnout there in South Korea at the time was the individuals who were on the fire department. So we were working with fire and EMS first, and then they were going to incorporate in military and police. Whereas here in the U.S., um, what our police might see or military might see um, first their fire and EMS kind of see. So as far as uh, a lot of, you know, deaths or really traumatic accidents, that was handled mostly by fire and EMS there over in South Korea. So understanding cultural difference, just how they're structured and how it's functioned, and then also getting to know the horses and how they view the horses and their culture and how they're used to interacting with equines there and their perception of, of horses and animals in general. And then also kind of a personal thing, this was like the uh, the first major undertaking, I, I guess you could say, I'd, I'd taken on in my professional career and kind of having that self-doubt of, I know I know my stuff, but do I know it to the level to get hired on to go teach this internationally? So I did a ton of studying uh, and and just preparing, and it was a huge learning curve and definitely outside of my comfort zone, but getting outside of your comfort zone is where you learn the most and where you grow. So I was definitely, you know, in my zone of proximal development there for those that, that do the instructor training and, you know, wanting to push our students there. Well, as instructors, we should also push ourselves there to continue to learn. 
So those were some of the challenges that were there. But what was really cool was being able to walk into the arena with these horses that were in a completely different country and be able to communicate with them in that nonverbal way that our horses communicate with us here. And uh, that was that one consistency that was there was, was the, the horse language. And so that was kind of like my little safe spot there in a different country. Well, that is amazing that you were able um, to take those skills and um, help build an amazing program outside of the United States. Um, I think it's, it's phenomenal. Um, one of the things that Saber, you and I talked about um, in relating to and looking at things you shared about the first responder trainings that you've done both internationally and here in the U.S., that you said there is um, quite a bit of crossover. Um, and so I'm hoping that you will share with our listeners today some of what that crossover is um, and how you are now utilizing it in your own lessons and training sessions, um, both with students and horses. Sure, absolutely. So one of the crossovers that that is um, definitely more prevalent here in the U.S. and it's it's getting more prevalent now in other places is understanding you know the importance of being proactive about taking care of ourselves physically and emotionally and cognitively. So being kind of proactive on that way and how horses can be something that can be a kind of a decompressing time for us to just kind of turn off. Um, turn off all those worries of everything around us. And also that uh, with first responders, a lot of times their job requires them to be in a state of hypervigilance. So they're always watching out around them for something in their environment that could be a threat to them. So, you know, very similar to how prey animals like horses function as well. They can be in that, that constant state of hypervigilance because they are looking out in their environment uh, for things that could be a threat to them and how to stay safe. So that was a big crossover that I noticed between horses and first responders and what they could really relate to. So we would incorporate desensitization, groundwork in with the horses uh, here in the U.S. and also in South Korea, and just talking about how horses process that and then also how humans process that and how can, how can we come down from that state of hypervigilance once we're off shift. Um, so that was a crossover there. And then here in the U.S., um, my husband actually works in the training division for his role in the first responder community. And so there is a lot of crossover with training techniques that they use and and methodologies that they use to help individuals learn how to assess situations and process information. So one of the common ones that I've started to utilize a whole lot more now is what's called the OODA loop. So it is how your brain processes an event and it ties so closely into um, how horses think and process events, how our instructors process events and are able to react to things quickly and keep situations safe. Also, how our riders and our students are able to process information. And, and you know, in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the adaptive riding world with teaching students that usually have some type of processing delay of how can we 
streamline the information that's going in and help them process that information without overwhelming them. So the OODA loop is basically observe, orient, decide, and act. And I take that that lingo that was primarily military and now very prevalent in law enforcement and translate it into how that applies as instructors and how that applies to our students and the horses that we're working with. So that's been a huge takeaway. Um, also, the resiliency. So the resi- resiliency mental health training uh, or mental first aid, so to speak, training uh, that that um, community members as well as peers in first responders can go through. A lot of those breathing techniques and mindfulness techniques and how we can take those into the arena or into the barn and um, be more aware of how we're feeling, how we're interacting with other humans, and then also how we interact with the horses as well. Wow. That's a lot of overlapping and a lot to be learned from, um, from work with first responders and then being able to kind of bring it back into what you do um, with your students and with your horses in the arena. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you also have shared that um, you have done some other work with first responders as well. And I believe that you have carried that over as well. Um, You have done some, you can always correct me if I'm wrong, Sabra, but (laughs) I know You've done not just training, but you've then gone back in and provided as you're kind of just referencing now some of that mental health um, work, because that is what your professional background is. Um, So can you share a little bit about how that works um, and how you're able to utilize um, that in other areas as well, what you've learned? Yeah, so I am, I'm by no means a, a licensed therapist. So all of my training and continuing education as relating to mental health has been more on you know, the layperson side or the civilian side. I've gone through a lot of additional trainings that is trauma-informed teaching. We've done trauma-informed parenting before because we fostered for a little while. Uh, I've also done critical incidents response training. So how do you interact with somebody who has seen a critical incident? So that could be a really bad car crash um, with an accident, whether they've seen it or actually experienced themselves. And so those trainings on top of what I went to for school with the psychology and family and marriage development has really given me a well-rounded foundation I I think of working with individuals and understanding human psychology and how we process those events and and just different techniques that we can use that might appear in things that, and I know it gets a bad rap, but, you know, like ABA, so your applied behavior analysis of cause and effect and psychology uh, terms and different techniques that you can use to view a situation that you're going through. Um, So that was huge. And then just understanding how to work with individuals who are at risk and also work with the law enforcement community. That was really a benefit when we put together the mentoring program that involved equine assisted learning. So we had an equine specialist out there and then we had 
law enforcement officers that were paired with their at-risk youth kids that were their kiddo for six weeks and just helping them build that relationship and understanding where they were coming from on both sides and the challenges that they were facing on both sides and that positive outcome that we were wanting to establish and get by working with the horses in the barn environment. So all of that's kind of been, you know, rolled into one as far as, as just the human psychology and horse psychology and uh, critical incidents and trauma-informed training, all of that kind of rolls together. And it's, it's just crazy how much it overlaps, even though these trainings that I've gone through have not necessarily been related to horses or the barn. There's always stuff that you can take that are non-horse related and, and apply them to what you do as the instructor. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap in many of those areas. Um, is there um, one specific thing um, that you feel like stands out um, that you could share today with our listeners that would be something they could focus on in their own work with their horses and or students from these experiences? Mm, that's a really good question. So I'd say one of the biggest things that I encourage instructors to do and also my students, and I try to do this myself, is to definitely have, you know, be, be, uh, be confident in what you know as the, your, your knowledge base and what you know as an instructor now and apply what you know, but to continue to learn from other people, even if it's outside of your industry. And even if the learning experience that you attended or you learned from wasn't necessarily the most positive learning experience, it could be something of, hey, you know what? I still learned something that I want to avoid as an instructor. But for instructors to really beyond horse-related topics into areas that they can learn and grow and challenge themselves to, to be a better instructor and to do right by their horses and their students and to really just look at things in a different way of, all right, even though this isn't horse-related or barn-related, how can I still take this information? like the OODA loop, or there's even coaching principles out there from mainstream athletics or uh, trauma-informed teaching or parenting. How can I take that information and apply that, again, within the scope of what I can do professionally as an instructor? How can I apply that to be become a stronger instructor and to not get stuck in what you do just because it's your discipline or what you've always done? Uh, be willing to to change things and learn from new people as long and and try different things as long as it's safe and you know the what how's why is behind why you're doing this new thing. That's great. I think that's excellent advice. Um, and you did share with us that you have a a wide background um, in so many different areas. Um, where can folks find out more about you um, and all of the different opportunities um, that you provide in your own mentoring? 
Sure. So people can learn more about what I do and there's a lot of free resources and there's also low cost educational opportunities as well. And they can find that at hoofballsandfootfalls.com. So my website is kind of the main hub for all the links of what I do, but I've also got a Hoofballs and Footfalls podcast channel. I'm on YouTube and also on Facebook. I've not quite hit all the other trendy Instagram and all that stuff. And even though I'm in the younger generation, that stuff is still a little bit too new to me. So I've stuck with YouTube, Facebook, and website if people want to find out more about what I do. But I work with, I I specialize in instructors in the equine assisted services industry, specifically adaptive or therapeutic riding and equine assisted learning. Um, But I also work with mainstream instructors who might kind of be that crossover or that bubble between the riders who don't necessarily need a full-fledged therapeutic riding program with, you know, the full bubble wrap of all the volunteers. And I mean, I mean, bubble wrap in a loving way. Um, But then they also might not work in a traditional only program. So those instructors that are wanting to look to, to learn how to work better with their students who might have some unique learning needs, but still function in kind of that traditional format. So that's, that's my little sweet spot there is the adaptive riding and those crossover, the inclusive riding and horsemanship programs. And Sabra, when you're working with riders, you always um, focus on skills from the ground up. So it's not just in the saddle, it's truly all around um, horse skills. Absolutely. So I am a firm believer that we can learn so much from horses on the ground that a, that can then cross over into the saddle. And I know that's the big draw is, is getting to ride the horse and getting to go around the arena. But as instructors, I think we really need to buy in and understand the importance of that groundwork and that foundation. And even with our students who might have a formal diagnosis, what little bits can we work in of working on the ground alongside that equine partner, of course, safely doing so. And is it a good fit for that individual? But if a student's able to work with a horse on the ground, whether it's grooming or learning how to lunge or learning how horses communicate on the ground with their body language, and then we apply it to what we do in the saddle, it is just absolutely amazing what we can see in in the life skills individuals learn the confidence that they build in working with horses on the ground. And then also just those leaps and bounds in understanding that animal that they're working with and how it can make them a stronger rider. Well, thank you for joining us today, Sabra, and for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. What a fascinating conversation. I found two more acronyms, acronym, acronyms, I can't say that word, two more acronyms <laughs> that I can go down to rabbit holes. The four R's of trauma-informed care. I've never even heard of trauma-informed care. And the OODA loop. Wow, great stuff that you can apply to all different parts of your life and your horse life. Pretty cool. Yep, definitely to coaching and teaching. Coaching. Well, and I was looking at this. You could even... The four R's of trauma-informed care. So many of us work with horses that you could loosely label as traumatized. They had really bad 
interactions with humans in the past. Realize, recognize, respond, resist, re-traumatization. You can so apply all of those to working with horses because I think, particularly the last one, resist re-traumatization is something that we need to think about a lot with horses because we so inadvertently make the same mistake over and over with the horse. I think there are a number of books out there on that topic. Uh. (laughs) But again, this sort of information, everybody takes in information differently under different circumstances. It's all very unique. And when you can find ways to present information in many, many different ways from different points of view, but the end goal is the same, that's all the better. So I looked at these and went, oh, I could so apply these. This this is going to be very helpful for me with my horses. So thanks for having Saber on. She was a, she was fascinating. Yep. Totally different. She, she definitely uh, brought some very different different ideas um, to working with horses and uh, riders from a very different perspective. Very different perspective. You can always count on something fun and different from the CHA folks. And to find links about today's guests and show notes, you're going to find them all at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. Follow the HRN Network on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Where's everybody going to find out more information about CHA and the CHA conference? Oh, the best way to learn about CHA is to go to CHA.horse. Does CHA have a Facebook page? Oh, we do. Certified Horsemanship Association. 